You can turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We'll read a passage here as we are dealing with the thought of the mythology of modern science. Subtopic under that, we are dealing specifically with epistemology, which is the theory and the study of knowledge. We'll start in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, and notice what it says here about the unbeliever. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So the unbeliever, the sinner, is an enemy of God in his mind, with his mind. Now to chapter 2, starting in verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted together, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And then notice there in verse 3, in whom, in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And look what Paul says next. Don't you wish he'd tell you why he told you that? Well, he does. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. He's the Lord of every aspect of our life, our thinking including. So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then he says, Beware lest any man spoil or rob or mug you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or the building blocks or the presuppositions of the world and not of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do humble ourselves before you. We bow, Lord, our knees, Lord, our hearts, our minds, our beings before your throne of grace. Lord, we do acknowledge you as the truth, the fount, the source of all true knowledge. And we ask of you, Lord, by your Spirit, to instruct and to teach us that we would indeed be rooted and grounded in Christ, that we would think rightly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our study of the nature and the character of God, we have been studying in specific the subject of epistemology, which is the nature of knowledge, the grounds of knowledge, 
and the method by which we come to arrive at knowledge. And as we have learned, epistemology is very significant to every individual's life. For one's episteme is the governing presupposition of a man's worldview. You see, when we're talking about the different presuppositions, and you can see, I have the, the house of knowledge according to Christianity. But then I have the apostate house of knowledge over here. And the pillars within the house of knowledge, as we have learned, are epistemology, metaphysics or reality, ethics, which is behavior, and aesthetics, which is beauty. But in order to determine what metaphysics or what the nature of reality is, we must use our epistemology to gain that knowledge. We must use our epistemology or an episteme to determine what is right and wrong. We must use our episteme to determine what is beautiful and what is not. So our episteme is foundational because by our episteme, we determine whether or not we know anything about anything. Do you see? That's why this is so important. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, there are five common epistemes which we will be examining. Don't get nervous, Mike. I just threw one extra one in here. There's really more than that. But we're going to be looking at five. And, And we've looked at these different epistemes. We've got this right here, which is the episteme of emoting, just, I, I know what's true by what I feel, amen, we've got some other epistemes in here, I've got some new ones uh, here this morning for you, one of the, the epistemes out there is the episteme of skepticism, amen. Skepticism says we we can't know what is really true. You see, that's there's that episteme right there. Not not a good episteme at all, as as you can can imagine. But that's what skepticism. There's a lot of skeptics out there. Amen. We have the the episteme of what would this one be? Rationalism. We got our thinking cap right there. Amen. The episteme of rationalism. Amen. What would that one be right there? Pragmatism, amen. If it works, it must be true, amen. Then we have our episteme here of, um, yeah, there's that one right there. That's a, you know, you can tell a lot about a man by the way he reacts to that, but we'll just, that's kind of a sub-episteme, right? It's not, you know, it's not a, a major thing, but it it is very insightful, amen, nevertheless. One of my children put, put this one, I'll put it over here, amen. One of my children put this one in here. It says West Texas. Amen. In other words, if somebody thinks West Texas is beautiful, then they need to get a better aesthetic. Amen. Amen. So that one's, it's not a major one though. Don't worry, brother Doug. It's not a major one there. Amen. Then we've got, hey, remember these right here? That would be, huh? Empiricism. Amen. I've got a handy dandy magnifying glass right there. Amen. Uh-huh. Hey, how about that one right there? <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's one. <laughs> Tell a lot about a man by 
The way he views electricity, amen? You see, I'm being equal here. Here it is, right there. Those are electricians' pliers right there. I've got my own, amen? I keep them with me. I use them sometimes, you see? I'm willing to face my fears. There we go. That's what Christians do, you see, amen? Yes, sir, amen. Amen. So we've got these different epistemologies here. and This one. So these are our different epistemes that we have. And that would fall under epistemology. You can see here, here's the, the unbeliever's house of knowledge. And this morning we're going to be looking at empiricism. But under that empiricism, you could have pragmatism, rationalism, skepticism. But the Christian epistemology or episteme is revelation. So here we have a, a veritable cornucopia of potential epistemes that a man may choose from. But the question we're going to be asking this morning is which of these epistemes can provide a basis, a rational basis, a foundation, and a grounding for knowledge. Now, we're going this morning to look specifically at the epistemology or the episteme of empiricism. And what we are going to see is this. That this issue of epistemology is utterly devastating to the non-Christian worldview. Why is that? Because as I've told you, children, the good news about Christianity is not only Jesus Christ, but it's true. And Christianity alone, with the foundation of God himself and his word. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid. God himself, Jesus Christ, is the chief cornerstone. And not just any God, but the triune, holy, omnipotent, omnipresent God of Christianity that possesses a saiety or being in himself. He is the foundation, the grounding for all things. But the apostate house of knowledge, it cannot provide a reliable foundation and it does not have reliable presuppositions which can hold up or lead to knowledge. Now, as we look here at empiricism, what is empiricism? Let's define it. Empiricism is the presupposition or the belief. The belief, amen? Empiricism is a faith commitment. Empiricism is an assumption. Do you see that? Empiricism is the presupposition or belief that all knowledge is gained by observation via the senses. In our present mini-series on the mythology of modern science, as we are dealing with that, it is fitting to start with the episteme of empiricism because empiricism is the governing episteme of the so-called scientist as he employs the scientific method. The scientific method is the using of empiricism to determine what is true or to reach knowledge. 
And Bertrand Russell made this statement. What science cannot discover, man cannot know. And Russell was an empiricist. Now, that's the creed of scientism. Now, an easy way to remember what empiricism is, empiricism is the episteme by which we go and see. Amen. We'll, we'll contrast that later with the episteme of rationality, which is to stop and think. But we're dealing with a p- empiricism, go and see. And with the episteme of empiricism, one uses their five senses to engage and interpret reality. Amen. If, if we wanted to, to prove this pulpit exists, we would, if we were empiricists, we would use our senses. Amen. We can touch it. Amen. We can, we can hear it. Amen. We can see it. Amen. We can even lick it and taste it. And then we could begin to study the properties and the nature of this pulpit by our senses as well. And if we did that, taking this pulpit into our laboratory and, and we would be empirically studying this pulpit. Now, let me say this, that we as Christians We're not against empirical evidence at all. That's because all empirical evidence merely confirms Christianity. It doesn't prove Christianity, but it all confirms it because Christianity is true. So we're not against empirical evidence, and we would admit that empirical proofs can even be generally reliable. What are we against? We're against empiricism as an authoritative, all-governing theory of knowledge. That's what we're against. But what one must understand is that any appeal to empirical data presupposes the Christian worldview. So if you're going to be a consistent empiricist, you'd have to be a Christian. Because only the Christian worldview can account for the things which would make empiricism valid and trustworthy. That being, you know, it's, as we looked last week, if, if I'm going to verify or study this pulpit with my senses, what am I presupposing? That my senses are reliable. But, hey, if I'm just, you know, a mere random chemical reaction, you know, I, I came out of the stew as some goo and, and then I went to the zoo and, and now I'm you and, and here I am and, and my brain is not really a, a self-conscious uh, uh, mind which can think and judge things, but hey, I'm just fizzing up here. Does it make sense that I would then trust in these senses? No, not at all. So empiricism doesn't make sense. It's not intelligible if the atheistic worldview is true. So, let's look at this apostate and unreliable episteme. Right off the bat, who can tell me the most glaring problem with the declaration of empiricism? What would you say, Timothy? Philosophically here, it is self-refuting. Exactly. You see, 
Epistemology is the study of how we arrive at knowledge. And empiricism is the knowledge claim that all knowledge is gained by observation. Thus, empiricism makes an absolute knowledge claim about how we are to come to knowledge. Hmm. But how can one know that about knowledge itself? You see, we have a problem here. Now, just for clarification, is the truth claim that all knowledge is gained by observation material or immaterial? Timothy? Immaterial. Very, this is very, very important. You see, they may tell you, oh yes, I've empirically verified empiricism because I read it in a sentence in my science book. But those words, that is not the declaration of empiricism. Those are merely words which are instantiating an immaterial declaration. Do you see that? So no man can empirically verify the immaterial truth or knowledge claim of empiricism. And if ever they say they have, just ask them one question. And what did it look like? Well, which of your five senses did you employ to verify the immaterial claim that all knowledge is gained by observation? Do you see we've got a major problem here? When the unbeliever comes away from the episteme bin with his empiricism in hand, what question could you ask him? Sir, how do you know that empiricism is a reliable episteme? Can they say that they have empirically verified the claim that all knowledge is gained by empirical means? Absolutely not. Therefore, If empiricism is true, then it is false. Because if all knowledge was gained through our senses, one could never verify with their senses that immaterial claim. Therefore, they could not have empirical knowledge that empiricism is true. You you follow me on that. Empiricism is, in essence, self-refuting. Because it doesn't meet its own criteria or standards. When when Russell makes the statement, all knowledge can only be gained through science. Is that a scientific or a philosophical statement? Philosophical. It's self-refuting. You see that? And all apostate epistemologies, as we're going to see, they're all self-refuting. Why? Because they're not true. So here we are. What are the two foundational presuppositions of mankind? They are, number one, as far as for the Christian, this is what we believe. We believe that Christian God exists and his word is truth. What is the foundational presupposition of the apostate humanistic worldview? Man is the measure of all things and his senses and his reason can lead him into truth. The empiricists has in essence, by faith, chosen empiricism. He has just made the declaration. He just intrinsically believes by faith that his senses and reason are going to be a reliable episteme to lead him into truth. And he has, in choosing empiricism, exalted his own senses and reason as the ultimate authority and the determiner of truth. 
Now, most sinners are not epistemologically self-conscious in that they are not usually aware of the episteme that they are using. And they have most probably never considered the devastating implications of their episteme. They're just so arrogant and they just think that everybody that's normal and smart would agree with them. But when you begin to examine them, you can show that there are major problems with their episteme. Here's an example of that. I was watching a debate and these two atheists were chiding the Christians and what they, they said, stop answering all of our questions what the Bible says. And the Christian wisely said, okay, if you will stop formulating all of your questions with your autonomous rational mind, then I will stop answering your questions with the Bible says. You see, they've got their own Bible. It's their own mind. What they think, what they believe, that's what their standard of truth is. So they've got a Bible just like we do. But they've never stopped to consider the implications of their episteme. You see, the empiricist believes himself to be scientific and thus rational and not dependent upon faith at all. Moreover, he will chide you and I for having no rational or scientific foundation for our worldview, and say, you're just trusting in your ultimate authority, the Scriptures, by faith. But here is the irony. He is not only living by faith, as we are, but it is his faith that is blind and irrational, because it has no foundation whatsoever. So when they challenge your faith commitment to your ultimate authority, what you could ask them is this. And how, may I ask, do you know your ultimate authority is valid? Amen. By faith, we trust in the validity of the Scriptures. We presuppose it. And if a man doesn't presuppose it, he can't know anything at all. But they think that they do not, by faith, presuppose the validity of their Bible or ultimate authority, which is their senses and their reason. So merely you ask them, how do you know your ultimate authority is valid? And it is by faith. In essence, they sense their senses are sensible. They reason their reason is reasonable. And they remember that their memory is reliable. You you see that? They're doing the same thing. We're both living by faith. The question is, whose faith is rational? For the unbeliever, they have what is called a viciously circular argument in trusting in their own reason and their own senses, which is a logical fallacy. Now, we admit, when defending an ultimate authority... One must argue in a circular manner. And there is such a thing as a virtuously circular argument, which is internally consistent and possesses a rational grounding and is thus valid. We admit we argue in a circle as well. We trust in the self-attesting authority of God's word. But here's the issue or the deal. All ultimate authorities must, by nature of being the ultimate authority, be self-attesting. 
So they must be defended in a circle. But here's the question. Whose circle is virtuous? Thus being internally consistent and having a rational foundation for its presuppositions. Only the Christian worldview possesses those qualities. However, since their validation of empiricism is viciously circular, everything they claim to know is based on a logical fallacy. Everything. Think about that. There is nothing the empiricist knows that is not based on empiricism or his senses. But empiricism is self-refuting and irrational. Therefore, everything they are claiming to know is based on irrationality. It's based on a logical fallacy. That's devastating. In other words, their house of knowledge right here, you can see the cracks in the foundation here. Their house of knowledge has no foundation or reliable presuppositions by which they can come to knowledge. Furthermore, when considering the irrational episteme of humanistic empiricism versus the Christian episteme, what's our episteme? Who knows? Revelation. When contrasting these, there's a common misconception. And that is the misconception that believing in God's word requires faith, whereas doing science does not involve faith. That's the myth of religious neutrality, another myth. You see, scientists have faith that science can even be done. Scientists have faith that the scientific method is sufficient to fully understand ultimate reality. Scientists have faith that their senses and their reason are reliable. And scientists have faith that they are actually seeing causation. You see, science is based upon faith. I could preach to you a message on science and faith and never even talk about God or the Bible. Science is a faith commitment. Just as Christianity is. But Christianity is a rational faith commitment because we have a sure foundation in which we can ground our presuppositions. Now, this is an absolute. Whether one trusts in God's word or the scientific method, they are both exercising faith. As we have seen, the question is whose faith is rational. Now, given the naturalistic worldview of the unbeliever, in which everything is just matter in motion, it's just chaos here. You see, we, we have the metaphysic here, or reality of the unbeliever, which is matter and energy, random, unguided chaos. That's what their view of reality is. Their episteme is empiricism. We gain everything by our senses. And the foundation is man. Fallible, finite man. 
who's just a chemical reaction. And not only is he a finite, fallible chemical reaction that's merely fizzing, he's utterly selfish and thus not honest with the truth. That's not a very good foundation to build the house of knowledge upon. So given the naturalistic worldview of the unbeliever, there's no rational reason to have faith in these things. Therefore, their house of knowledge is built upon irrationality. And if the foundation and the pillars are not sound, then their worldview is utterly absurd. Do you see that? There's another problem, a major problem for empiricism, which is called the problem of induction. Amen. Brother Doug, before church, he came to me and said, Brother Charlie, what is induction? Right here. We're going to look at this very briefly. A thumbnail sketch. And look, if you don't understand this, just come and talk to me afterwards. In logic, there are both inductive and deductive arguments. Now, a deductive argument is going from a general truth to specific truths. And here's an example. All men are mortal. You've heard that. Doug is a man. Therefore, Doug is Socrates. No. Therefore, Doug is a man. Do you see that right there? That's deductive law. You start from a general truth and you deduce from that. Induction is different. And this is what science does. It starts from a particular. And it observes some particulars. And then it induces from these observed particulars. Therefore, this must be a general truth about the universe. And there is such a thing in philosophy. It's a thorny problem called the problem of induction. And here it is. Empiricism presupposes by faith that the sequence of events in the future will occur as it always has in the past. In other words, the laws of physics will hold as they have always been observed to hold. And this has been called the principle of the uniformity of nature. Induction and the uniformity of nature are pretty much the same thing. And based upon the unbeliever's faith in the uniformity of nature, you see, one of his presuppositions is that nature is uniform, just like it is for us. But the problem is his faith in the uniformity of nature has no rational basis. Why is that? Because his metaphysic is random, unguided chaos. So if this, if the universe is random, unguided chaos, then it's irrational to have faith or believe that nature will be uniform. Do you see that? His faith commitment is irrational. Based upon the unbeliever's faith in the uniformity of nature, he by faith conducts his science, believing by faith that the future will be like the past. We as Christians, we also believe in the uniformity of nature. And we believe it by faith. But we have a very good and rational reason to believe the universe will be uniform. It says in Genesis chapter 8, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. 
God has created this universe and now he has given us a promise in his word that he will continue to uphold this universe. Therefore, our faith in the uniformity of nature is rational. But their faith in the uniformity of nature is completely irrational. The problem of induction is this. It is the question of whether inductive reasoning, going from a few particulars that we as finite men can observe to general truths about the universe, actually leads to real knowledge or just knowledge falsely so called. In other words, do all instances which we have had no experience resemble those of which we have had experience? You see, remember, empiricism claims that we can only know what we have observed. And we cannot observe all things, can we? And we surely cannot observe the future. Now think about this. The empiricist believes that this pen, if I am to drop it, he believes it will fall to the ground. But does he believe that empirically? No. Because he can't know if it will fall to the ground this time unless I drop it and he observes that it falls to the ground. Furthermore, empiricism cannot see the future. So in reality, he is not using empiricism to know if this pen will fall. He is using faith in the uniformity of nature, which only makes sense in a Christian worldview. You see that? You see, he can't know if the toothpaste is going to come out of the tube tomorrow He doesn't know. He doesn't have knowledge of that because he hasn't yet observed it. He's living by faith as though what the Bible says really is true. But the problem for the honest empiricist, which is as rare as chicken teeth, is that one cannot proceed with certainty from particulars to universals without being omniscient. Induction is therefore fallacious because it does not reason from a revealed certainty, but from unrelated particulars to universals. You see, the only way a man can know anything for sure is if he either knows everything or someone that does who has revealed things to him. Because we're very finite. Amen? You see, induction does, it goes out of the world. Oh, I see a swan. That swan is white. And I I see another swan. That swan is white. I've seen a thousand swans and they're all white. Therefore, all swans are white. That's an inductive conclusion. But what's the problem with that? Can a man see all swans? Do I know what the swans are going to be like in the future? You see, I don't know that. There could be a black swan somewhere up in the on Mount Everest that we don't know or can't see down in some... Man cannot know that. And if there is one thing in the universe that is other than what he believes, then it can utterly devastate what he thinks he knows. That's the problem of induction with finite man who's not omniscient. I've told you the story 
about the, the aliens that came down to earth and they were helping all of the humans and they seemed to be so benevolent helping with the crops and humans fell in love with these aliens and you know, they had a manual that said it was called serving mankind. And some of the humans were even going back up to the planet and the aliens said they liked it so much they just didn't want to come back to earth. One man who was kind of skeptical, he finally said, well, you know, I'll go up there and try it. And I think it'd be a good, I can trust these aliens. But as he's boarding the uh, plane, going into the flying saucer, all of a sudden his girlfriend goes, wait, stop, serving mankind is a cookbook. You see, just that one fact, that one truth changed everything. So do you see the thorny problem of induction when finite man with his finite experience using these senses that are fallible, he thinks that he can actually determine absolute truth thereby? It's a major problem if they're honest. Induction is therefore the glory of science, but it's the scandal of Philosophy. In order for the humanist to claim he knows anything, he must first solve this thorny problem of induction. And you know what they'll usually say? This young man I'm corresponding with at LSU, okay, okay, I really don't have a solution, but it works. Imperial, it works. Why, why are you making me show my, go to the board and show my work? You're making me actually justify why I believe it works. I, I can't do that, but it works. And that's good enough for me. That's all they can do. Because there is no rational justification for the episteme of empiricism. None at all. All they can do is announce it. All they can do is arbitrarily say, well, it's all we have and it works. And that's what we're going to do. But they cannot justify it. Thus making it a rational faith commitment. Amen. Let's stand here this morning. We haven't finished with empiricism. But are you seeing? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Where is the great Goliath empiricist? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of man and this world? This is utterly devastating. Do you see that? These arguments, you know what they do? (laughs) They cut off the arms and the legs of the sinner, and they leave him on the ground in a pool of his own blood with absolutely no apologetic or defense whatsoever. But the problem is, (laughs) they're so arrogant (laughs) that they're dancing around like they're the heavyweight empirical champion, epistemological champion of the world. But you hear me. (laughs) If anybody would be honest... This is utterly devastating. Apart from the existence of the triune Christian God, there is no foundation for knowledge whatsoever. No man can know anything 
with absolute certainty. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you've revealed yourself, your ways, truth, and knowledge unto us in Christ. Help us, Lord, to think your thoughts, to bow our hearts and our mind unto your authority and your word. Establish us therein. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take a short break and come back for church.